You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, Father. Hey, here we go. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is a 16th Sunday in ordinary time otherwise known as, I believe, the eighth Sunday after Pentecost. Am I right? Nice. Eighth Sunday after I, Pentecost. I've lost count and at this point. You, know, you lost count, but you shouldn't lose your focus. Exactly. Continues on. Because all of our readings this Sunday are about, about the wisdom of God directing his people in the midst of a pagan world. And so if we don't lose our perspective, then we'll be able to read the readings as they're meant to be read. And as in this season, as in every single year, even though we're in a three-year cycle in the Novus Ordo, don't make me comment about that, but still the theme remains of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit within us, the wisdom of God dwelling within us and directing our path um, amidst a, uh, a, you know, dark and contrary world, society. Um, that the apostles faced, that the Lord faced, that the early church faced, that we face in our, in our and then we can apply it that way. You see, it's really important that we have that context. Otherwise, you're just random, random like biblical texts, right? That sound nice, and we all fulfilled our Sunday obligation and went home. And um, and and uh, again, don't get me onto that one. Okay, Annie, give us our biblical texts that we're going to look at today. Excellent. Okay, so for the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Wisdom chapter 12 will be our first reading. Wisdom 12, verse 13 to set it up, and then verses 16 through 19. The responsorial psalm is taken from Psalm 86. The gospel, another long one, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. And the epistle, we're making our way through Romans chapter 8. I think this is three weeks in a row that we're on this particular chapter now. Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Here we go. Get out your Bibles, brothers and sisters. Here we go. A real Bible. Yeah. Real Bible. Let's take a look here. Wisdom chapter 12, Wisdom verses chapter 12. 13, 13 and 16 through 19. I guess we didn't really like. Versus yeah, we don't like we're 14 and 15. We don't need them. I'm kidding. I, I know I oftentimes, you know, I'll admit I'm somewhat of a traditionalist. And therefore, when we start skipping verses, you know, you're like, well, why not just do the whole thing? But it is actually customary in the lectionary cycle that the church will combine texts like from it's not, it's not unheard of, even from different gospels. It happens during Holy Week or, or drop verses out because they're not necessarily getting us to the point of the of, of what the church is highlighting and i just it, 
the church in her wisdom and in her power, which we're going to talk a lot about the wisdom and power of God today, has this ability. Why? Oh, because she's manipulating the biblical text. No, because she is a servant of the word, but that word has been given to her. She is the body of Christ, and therefore she directs God's people according with, with wisdom, right? Choosing this, setting aside this, putting this in place, setting aside that, so that the people of God can draw close to the Lord. And if we put aside all the nonsense Protestant attacks and all that, you know, and just realize we're in a family and that this is written for the family and that the church is given to the family to guide and guard her and to nourish her with the truths which are appropriate to her at this moment so that she grows and doesn't give her too much, right? So that the babe doesn't choke, right? That's St. Paul. Then it's it's with, certainly within the, the way of the church as a mother to feed her children appropriately. So drop me a couple of verses out because she wants to focus our efforts. It's very traditional, actually. Yeah. So anyways, there um, you have it. I mean, certainly if it were just to make the readings shorter, I don't think we would have the gospel that we would for this right. weekend. That's right. So I don't think that it's necessarily um a laziness right. issue. So for sure. But we might just go back and read 14, 15 for okay. fun. Okay. Well, go ahead. Let's go. I'm ahead. down with doing everything for wisdom, chapter 12, verse 13 and 16 through 19. Go ahead. All right, here we go. There is no gods beside you who have the care of all that you need show you have not unjustly condemned. For your might is the source of justice. Your mastery over all things makes you lenient to all. For you show your might when the perfection of your power is disbelieved. And in those who know you, you rebuke temerity. But though you are master of might, you judge with clemency and with much lenience you govern us. For power whenever you will, attends you. And you taught your people by these deeds that those who are just must be kind. And you gave your children good ground for hope that you would permit repentance for their sins. All right. So I think the first thing we need to do is just get back up to speed with the book of wisdom. Remind us what yes. we need to know about this book. Well, is traditionally called the, the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, right? Because we know that Solomon was a wise man because we all read that in our childhood books, but it's also in the Bible. Okay. If you turn, just keep your hand there in wisdom. Uh, turn to 1 Kings chapter 4, um, verse 29. And God, see that 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, either with me? I'm sorry, I went too fast. There. I just happened to flip. I flipped open and it landed perfectly. Wow. Okay, well, I'm there now too. Okay, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and largeness of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt and da, 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 da and so forth. So, wow. so Solomon is, is, is this book is, is traditionally associated with Solomon. Um, some people would say that that there's certain indications in the book that it has that is written in a later time, which it very well may have been in its final form that you have it in your Bible, because just as the church in her wisdom drops out a couple of verses for us in our lectionary cycle, so the church of the Old Testament in her wisdom um, collected the great 
sayings of the great men and women before and oftentimes collected those, refined them, added to them over time. Um, so I would just say approaching this book from maybe not the modern biblical exegesis standpoint, but a more traditional standpoint would be to say that that I can accept that there's certain indications in the book that it that it has later timestamps that would indicate that that the parts of it or verses or whatever may refer to times later on. Nevertheless, in its foundation and it and it, it's substantially the work of yes Solomon, divided into three sections, which you should know and you can kind of gain by just doing. You know what I did. And I do this because I, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm here with you guys on every week, and Annie's here with you just so we can kind of work through things together, getting ourselves ready for Sunday. Um, um, kind of from a layman's standpoint, right? Let's kind of see what we can find out. Let's see by doing a little digging um, that we can discover that's going to create that fertile soil, as we're going to hear in the gospel, in which the mustard seed can be planted um, in which our priest can preach his homily and really fruits can grow in the midst of our Sunday experience. So uh, I'm going to pull out my old friend, Antonio Fuentes, yes. nice. um, who lays out those three sections very nicely for us and better than I could do. Um, and so he says this, the book can be divided into three parts. The first parts, chapters one through five. So you can go back now and just stop this video if you want and just go, just go scan and highlight Chapters one through five. You know what you're going to find there? You're going to find a general catechesis, a little introduction to the book of wisdom, what wisdom is, and a kind of a calling of man to a righteous way of life. Because, and we can talk about the nature of wisdom is that man's life is ordered properly. So it's a kind of a calling in chapters one through five to say, hey, get your life in order according to wisdom according to the wisdom of God, okay? And then the second part of the book, chapter six through nine, concentrates on the source of wisdom and the need to obtain wisdom. So it, it's it related to chapters one through five, but now starts to, starts to dive into the, the nature of wisdom itself, okay? And then the third part, which is the part we're in, uh, chapters 10 through 19, we're in chapter 12, is basically salvation history. God's wisdom in directing his people in the midst of all the challenges that they're, they're going to face. So if you just come back with me to chapters, uh, chapter 10, let's say we'll start there and, and kind of, you can just highlight, and this is what I did in preparation of being together today. I just went back again and just kind of highlighted the, the points where I thought were like the, the timestamps of salvation history. So you see chapters 10 verse one, wisdom protected the first formed father of the world. Who is that? Adam. Good. When he alone had been created, she delivered him from his transgression and gave him strength to rule all things. But when an unrighteous man departed from her in his anger, now stop for a second. What is he talking about, Adam? He perished because in rage he slew his brother. Who is he talking about? Cain. Exactly. Okay. And then look down at verse 6. Wisdom rescued a righteous man when the ungodly were perishing. He escaped the fire that descended on the five cities. And then all, and then you just got to scroll, just scan down a few verses. There you see a pillar of salt standing as a monument. What are we talking about, Annie? Um, Rebecca. 
or not Rebecca. No, Lot's wife. Lot's wife. Exactly. The pillar of salt. Exactly. Good. Sorry. I was trying to, I was trying to remember her. I thought she had a name and I couldn't. Sodom and Gomorrah. Gomorrah. Yeah. And then verse nine, wisdom rescued the troubles uh, from troubles. Those who serve her when a righteous man fled from his brother's wrath. What righteous patriarch fled from his mother's from his brother's wrath jacob yeah jacob and esau right esau right right. so now now there's granted jacob is not completely innocent here but he does turn to the lord and receives the blessing in the midst of his brother's wrath so there we go and then i'm gonna come down to verse 13, when a righteous man was sold, wisdom did not desert him. Well, who are we talking about? Joseph. Joseph sold into Egypt. There you go. Verse 15, a holy people, a blameless race, wisdom delivered from a nation of oppressors. Ah, the Israelites. The Exodus, right? And you just scroll down a little bit, or just scroll down, scan down a little bit. Verse 15 she gave holy men the reward of their labors and she guided them along a marvelous way and became a shelter to them by day a starry flame through the night she brought them over the red sea you see salvation history now is continuing on right verse and chapter 11 and right we're almost there right to chapter 12 wisdom prospered their works by the hand of a holy prophet who was that i mean would that be elijah no moses Oh, Moses, Moses, of course. We're still in the Exodus time. They journeyed to an uninhabited wilderness. I should have given you the wilderness part. And pitched their tents in untrodden places, right? So there's there you have it. Okay. And then, of course, what's the next major thing that's gonna that's gonna occur is the fall of Israel at the sin of the golden calf, verse 15, in return for their foolish and wicked thoughts which led them astray to worship irrational serpents and worthless animals, thou didst send upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them. So this is, they're out in the desert, right? And they're, and they're, yeah. And then the serpents come out and all this stuff. So they got, you've got both the the golden calf and you have later on when they murmur against Moses and God. Chapter 12, verse one is the chapter we're in now. Cause we start from verse 13 for thy immortal spirit is in all things. Therefore, thou didst correct little by little those who trespass. And this kind of gets into the heart of, of our of the catechesis today. A little by those who trespass and dost remind and warn them of the things wherein they sin, that they may be freed from wickedness and put their trust in thee, O Lord. Those who dwelt of old in thy holy land, thou didst hate for their detestable practices. Who is that? The... Who was living in... Who was living in the promised land when Israel came back in? Oh, the um the Canaanites. The Canaanites, yeah. right? And they yeah. and notice what it thou didst hate their detestable practices, their works of sorcery and unholy rites, their merciless slaughter of children, and child sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And then it continues on, verse 10. This is the most important verse, actually, just before the section we enter into in our lectionary. But judging them little by little, thou gave them a chance to repent. And this is fundamental to what is going on in this passage in the in wisdom. Um, we're talking about what wisdom is, what righteousness is, the relationship between God's wisdom, his justice, and his mercy. Why does God not just 
wipe out the sinner because he gives us time to repent, right? The Canaanites are allowed to dwell in the promised land. They're allowed to even fight against God's people to a certain extent. Why? So as to give them an opportunity for repentance. That's why God gives us salvation history after the fall. It's why he gives us our life in which we continually go to confession time and time again and say to the priest, Father, it's the same sin as this wild here. Exactly. Thank God you're not inventing any new sins. And then here we have verse 13. There is no God besides you who have the care of all that you need show you have not unjustly condemned. And so as God's people are coming into the promised land, there's this conflict with polytheism, right? Mm -hmm. And then this whole text comes to us about God's mercy and about how we are to act in his image and after his likeness, having mercy upon those whom we live amidst. And this entire situation of Israel now coming in the promised land, encountering the pagan people and God being merciful and giving time for repentance is an exact replica of the gospel account in which yeah. Jesus goes in to his people who J John says in the beginning of, of his, of his prologue, right? They did not know him. They did not receive. He came in his own, his own did not receive him. And it's in the midst of that, that the parables are given, right? So the, the, this is super important when we're doing biblical studies, especially in light of liturgy, that we understand the repetition of salvation history. And the, that's that repetition that what happens over and over and over in salvation history is exactly verse 10. Mm -hmm. it's, that repetition is done for those people and for us. So yeah. that we also in our lives, having seen this pattern Realize that God is merciful, but he is also just. And if we refuse to repent, then we buy our own reward. Yeah. The Lord will not force himself upon us. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, it is so interesting. I mean, I know you said that there, there might be indicators that that this was, was later on the, the book of wisdom, you know, set in, in ink, so to speak later after the life of Solomon. But it's so funny to think that this is, you know, if this is based in in the thought of Solomon, how much more is going to happen after this? You know, how many times we go through, you know, the second book of Kings and see all of how the people have have fallen astray even after all that that Solomon well, recounts just right here. Take a look at chapter 14. Verse 12, for the idea of making idols was the beginning of fornication. Mm. Now, mm. not to not to um to uh compromise the the this the um the little ears. <laughs> yeah, well let we let and also to respect our fathers, Solomon does not call out his own father and mother yeah and then uh but then calls out the sin and says i realize that everything going on around me because remember in the life of solomon this is where this is when shrines to the false gods are built on the mount of olives on the eastern slope 
right? You can see that in 1 Kings chapter 11, yeah, um, and, uh, and, and other places. Solomon's living in the midst of the fruit. It's kind of like Adam and Eve and their two sons, right? Cain and Abel. Well, they'll have three sons, but Cain and Abel are the, the, the incarnation of their divided heart. So Solomon is the fruit of the fornication of his parents. And, um, but, but Solomon in his wisdom calls it out for what it is. And then in verse 22, afterward, it, this is chapter 14, verse 22. Afterward, it was not enough for them to err about the knowledge of God. But they live in their great strife due to ignorance, and they call such great evils peace. Now, I'll just mm. talk about that for just a moment, because now we've come full, the, the, the whole story is coming to fruition. And that is, because they err about God, they act in a way that is not in accord with truth and goodness, right? And I was, I was just giving a homily for my parishioners uh, on this point. That that um, the importance of because in the in the Byzantine lectionary cycle during this time of year, we have the we have a Sunday dedicated to the fathers of the first six ecumenical councils, and I was making this point about how important how how the fathers of the church um, are so um, uh, precise about who Jesus is and so willing to defend it even to death that he is truly the incarnate God, getting debates over whether he has one, whether he has a divine will and a human will, right? The monothelite heresy saying, no, Jesus only has a divine will. But of course, the fathers of the church say what Jesus, what, what God did not assume, he did not redeem. So the, the council is called and says, no, you monothelites are heretics. You're cast out of the church. And people say, oh, but that's such a minor point. No, it's critically important. And why is it critically important for the early councils of the church to get it right? Because if you err about who God is, you will also err about who you are because you're made in his image and likeness. And therefore, you will not know how you are to live your life in accordance with the nature that's been given you. Yeah. And here in verse 22, the same thing happens. Afterwards, it was not enough for them to err about the knowledge of God, but they live now. See, they're mm-hmm. going to live in conflict because they don't know the one. And now we can bring our Christian revelation, the fullness of revelation is God, who is a trinity of persons who lives in perfect unity. Yeah. And we are made as image after his likeness. They err about the nature of God. And therefore, they live not in a communion of persons and a perfect unity, but they live in division and strife because ultimately they are sons of the one who lives in evil and, and, and strife and, and, and division. And that is the devil. And the book of wisdom calls this out. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can look at our day and age and say they probably deliberately air about god so as to justify the way that they live we see that going on yeah yeah you go backwards exactly well because we begin once we remove god as an objective reality we can make him in our own image exactly no exactly this was also part of my only by the way to my parishioners i believe that (laughs) clement of alexandria 
says, therefore, the word is our educator who heals the natural passions of our soul and his counsel. The art of healing, strictly speaking, is the relief of ills of body and art learned through human wisdom. Yet the only true healer of human sickness, the holy comforter of the soul when it is ill, is the word of the Father. Scripture says, Save your servant, O my God, who puts his trust in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, because I have cried out to you the whole day through. The words of Democritus, quote, The healer it by his art cures the body of its diseases, but it is wisdom that rids the spirit of its ills. The good educator of little ones, however, Wisdom, the word of the Father who created human beings, concerns himself with the whole of creation. And as the physician of the whole person heals both body and soul. I, I, I share this with you in light of the book of wisdom, the gift of wisdom, the reality of God in our life, and the direction. So what is wisdom, my brothers and sisters? What is wisdom? What is the classical definition of wisdom, Annie? I don't remember. I got these little nice, nice little one-liners. You know why? Because I wasn't very smart in my philosophy classes. I always struggled. So I didn't like memorize like the little, the little line, right? It's always going to bring you back home. Wisdom is the knowledge of the causes of things. The causes of things. That's right. Ultimately, the first and final cause. That means from which a thing came, what its origin is, how it came to be, and what its purpose is. That wisdom, now, most of the time we talk about practical wisdom. So that's wisdom in its proper sense, right? Knowledge of, now then you have to know what knowledge is. Knowledge is a union of the knower and the known, right? So wisdom is the making one with, like the wise man is the one who has within him full understanding of the natures of things right? What, what, what they are and what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. Practical wisdom, prudence, practical wisdom is the governing of your actions in accord with that knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we can go back and we can look at our passages given to us to realize then as, as this is, as, as, well, we don't have to read the whole thing, but, but would it be fair to say that this passage if I, if I just want to say what it's talking about, it's struggling with or, or explaining, maybe not struggling, explaining how God's wisdom and his justice and his mercy and his kindness and ultimately the punishment of the sinner is all one reality. Yeah. Yeah. How is it that God can be fully just and yet fully merciful? Well, because justice is the justice is the is the proper ordering of things, right? And so you can see justice and wisdom together, the proper ordering is to their proper end. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and God in his justice, we can talk about different types of justice, can't we, Annie? Yeah, yeah. Right? oh, absolutely. What are, what kind of, what are, there's retributive justice. Yeah, punitive justice and punitive restorative justice. justice. Restorative justice, right? There's a big difference. Punitive justice is not, this is, that's like secular justice, like, right? So, so someone does a bad thing and the government gets them back for that, right? Which is the way we always think about justice. Well, we have justice upon the murderer. He's got to die. No, no. Restorative justice is the way of God's justice. That is, he sees the thing for what it is. He knows what it's supposed to be. 
and he pours out his life that it might become all of that. This is why Jesus goes around doing miracles. He sees the thing. He sees eyes which you don't see. Well, we got something missing. Plug in the part, right? Put all the pieces in order so that the thing can be what it's supposed to be. That's what Jesus is doing. He's exercising his dominion as the king, as the Messiah, right? And the king orders his kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God is man and the whole of the created order. He puts it in its right order. He calms the stormy waves, okay? Because it's, it's, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing at this moment. It's supposed to be helping the apostles across, calm the stormy seas, right? Yeah. So um, um, why am I saying all, all, all of that? To understand that God's wisdom in action ultimately is mercy to us who are sinners because his wisdom is, is alive. We talked about a word going forth from his mouth recently and not returning to him unsuccessful, uh, right? Or whatever the word is. Now we come with wisdom going forth and pouring out into man and ordering his life towards his proper end. But of course, we in our sin can obstruct this, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. if I refuse to see as I'm meant to see, uh, and then glorify God as I meant to glorify God, then what's God going supposed to do? He can't, he can't become something he's not. He's not going to become Pharaoh. He's not going to become a slave and a dictator, right? So wisdom, the book of wisdom is constantly talking. They should have known. They should have seen in, in God's created order, in his work in salvation history, in all of this, they should have seen the one who was governing all things and been drawn up to him. Romans chapter one, go and read it. It's the same thing that, that you know, St. Paul is, is based and everything is saying on the book of, of wisdom. Anyways, I should encourage you guys, and I don't know if you have another question here, Annie, about the text, but, but I encourage you guys in the book of wisdom, spend a few in these days leading up to Sunday, just sink your teeth into this text. It's juicy. It's rich. It's wonderful. I was reading over it this morning. I didn't want to stop. I want to say, I, like, I got to get back and read, read all of wisdom again. Yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. It's awesome. And no, I don't have any more questions about it um, because especially because it leads us so nicely into the gospel, like you hardly need a transition there. But to to just quickly look at at Psalm 86, I mean, exactly what you're talking about, that the Lord, the response, Lord, you are good and forgiving. But why? Why? Because he knows all things. He sees all things. He is wisdom because he's the, he is the cause of all things. Right. Right. And then I love this, this the, here in, in Psalm 86, all the nations you have made shall come and worship you, O Lord, and glorify your name for you are great and you do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. So here is that as Pope Benedict loves to talk about that, that exitus, the, the pouring out of God mm-hmm. into creation. And their proper response is to live in his image and likeness. And that is to pour out our life to God. And that is what we call worship, right? This is why John says in his epistle, God is love. Love is the giving of our life to the beloved. God pours out his life into creation and we are made in his image and likeness. And therefore we are to pour out our life to him. So worship and love are just simply two sides of the same reality, right? It's it's our response to God who is love is to worship him in love. Anyways, that could probably be a little bit far afield from our purposes, but 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 it gets back to the most fundamental things. I would recommend to you 
Spirit of the Liturgy. If you haven't read this, how many times have I recommended this book at the ICC? Probably ad nauseum. You guys are like, you know, exhausted. If you have this book in your library, you can go to page 30, uh, 32 and 33 and 34. Mine's missing from my library, Father. 32, 32. It's missing? I don't have it Probably in my on your desk with a pile of garbage. Right here between the catechism and Aristotle. Yes, and it's missing. But 30, you can read this that section. 32. On that. 32. Okay. Got All right. It. Let's go. Noted. Come on. We're going to run out of time here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 13. And we're starting with verse 24. And we're going to have another parable. The, this is the gospel of, of another parable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. Here we go. Jesus proposed another parable to the crowds, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds all through the wheat and then went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the householder came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. His slave said to him, do you want us to go and pull them up? He replied, no, if you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until harvest. Then at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles for burning, but gather the wheat into my barn. He proposed another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when full grown, it is the largest of plants. It becomes a large bush and the birds of the sky come and dwell in its branches. He spoke to them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of wheat flour until the whole batch was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He spoke to them only in parables to fulfill what had been said through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has lain hidden from the foundation of the world. Then dismissing the crowds, he went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said to them in reply, he who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed, the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears ought to hear. Wow. Okay. So. Parable. Yeah, you're right. Another parable. 
and another parable and another parable. Um, I want to start off. Um, it says he went into the house. I'm assuming yes. that's Peter's house. Yes, this is a good, we've done this ad nauseum, I know, but it's it's just my thing, you know, it's my uh, licorice stick is uh, Capernaum. <laughs> I love Capernaum. And so we did this last week. Um, we don't need to do it again. I think we did it last week or the week before. Yeah, a bunch of maps. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, but Capernaum is there, well, you know, why not? Let's bring it up. I'm going to bring it up because I love Capernaum, you know? Perfect. The hometown okay. of Jesus. So here we have the seashore, right? Sea of Galilee. And the synagogue mm-hmm. that th- these wa- these walls here, which are now partially broken down, but they're there, are is I think it's like second century. Um, uh, so it's after Jesus, but the foundation stones are the same. It's the same size. Like that's that's the that's exactly where the synagogue was that Jesus stood, and we drove out the the d- demons from the demoniac. He goes to Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law. But in this here in this where we're at. In the gospel, if you look at Matthew chapter 13, that same day, Jesus went out of the house. Okay, this this right here is unfortunately, it's a modern church, it's very ugly, but it actually serves a nice purpose because they built it above the ruins of what is believed to be Peter's house. Um, there's certain indications, including the octagonal, like actually this right here, this yeah. octagon right here oh, is, yeah. is right where Peter's house is. And they, there's wow. a little octagon walls of the original church that was built over the spot and then from there so peter's home becomes jesus's home jesus is too crowded it's a little tiny home so he goes down to the seashore right and that's what we're looking at right here when it says in chapter 13 verse one the same day jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea well there you have it and then he got into a boat and that I showed you guys, was that last week or the week before Andy? We were looking yeah, at the cove of the, the sower. The yeah. Bay of the, yeah, the, yeah, or the Bay of the Parables, the cove of the sower right there. And then partway through this, these parables, because Jesus, verse, thir- verse three begins telling them parables, but then you're right to point out what verse is it, Annie, that he gets, goes back to the house. Um, It is... 36. 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came and saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Okay. There you go. So he's in safe territory, basically, at that point. Right. And so we talked about this before. You can, why a parable? You can look at chapter 10, verse 10 and following, in which Jesus explains the parables in kind of parable form. He's not all that clear about it. But we looked at it before, but the two major things, the two primary reasons why the parables are given is because Jesus wants to help his disciples understand, and he wants to help his enemies not understand. Yeah. Okay. So again, going back to chapter 12, verse 14, chapter 12, verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him how to destroy him. So remembering the context of what's going on in Galilee, crowds are around him. They're mixed in with the disciples and they're mixed in with the Pharisees and the Herodians and all mixed in there are the naysayers and the sayers, right? There's people like, oh, but he is the Messiah. And they're like, no, 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 this guy's, this guy's not, not him. He's, this guy's a fake. 
right? That conversation's going on. And by this time in the gospel, he's done it. I mean, he's going to do more. But if you haven't come to faith at this point, yeah, your ears are closed, not because Jesus closed them, but because you did it, right? You closed your eyes and you closed your ears. We talked about that last week or the week before. And, um, and, uh, and, and then and God's not going to be Pharaoh. He's not going to force you to open them. Um, he's not going to force us to reform our lives. And so there you, there you have it. He begins talking because if he comes out and he doesn't talk about weeds, but he talks about the Pharisees and he talks, pulls, pulls Judas out of the crowd, right? <laughs> Things are going to go very bad and Jesus is not going to make it back to Jerusalem. And he's got a plan for where he's going to be crucified and uh, he cannot get arrested here. And so he starts talking in very vague terms. I did this this morning. My kids were around with, with my wife and uh, we were talking with the kids schooling and one, and, and we, we homeschool, but we also make use of co-ops, right? As the kids are growing older, they go, they do different types of programs that are appropriate to their age. And the younger kids, we use a pro- program called classical conversations. It's a Protestant based program, but it's excellent in its in its well classical education and the importance of memory work at a young age but by the time they're like 13 and 14 years old they've got their foundations down and now we allow them to participate two days a week in a kind of a catholic homeschooling school type situation in which homeschooling families bring their kids for two days a week and the parents take turns teaching them in a more of a, a formal setting so they can have yeah. to get used to that because eventually they're going to go off to college. They're going to need to take notes and take tests and things like that. Okay. Why am I telling you that? Because we're sitting there with my kids and I, we're talking about one of my sons who isn't quite ready yet. He's still going to stay in the classical conversations program for one more year, but he wants to go to the other school. Oh. And so I said, I was very vague in how I said what we were going to be talking about. And then I asked the kids to please excuse themselves. Um, I said it to my wife, we need to talk about, and then I was, okay. So Jesus is being like this in his language. He doesn't want to reveal everything because you know, he's going to have, the kids are going to revolt. <laughs> One of the kids is going to say, oh, wait, I want to go. Let's go. We need to talk about it. Um, and I don't need you interrupting. So please remove yourself. So he's, that's the number one thing. But then the second and positive reason for the parables, of course, is the imagery given because oh, yeah. they're living in this agricultural society in which we all, and this goes back to the book of wisdom and to Romans chapter one, when the whole of the creator is meant to draw us up to the knowledge of the creator, like the piece of art draws us up to the artist, right? And it helps us understand, like anyone knows a Monet is a Monet or a Leonardo da Vinci is a Leonardo da Vinci. It's got a stamp on it. That's the way the guy does it. Okay. So similarly, the created order is meant to reveal these things. So Jesus uses the created order to give material to the immaterial realities, if you will, by which mm-hmm. we come to know. Okay. Andy. Yeah. Which you were talking about with the, the, the Bay of the parables last week. Um, I was curious in light of what we talked about last week and that, you know, like how all of the stuff that he was talking about in the parable was right there where they're all yes. at. Um, are there any mustard seeds in, or mustard trees in Capernaum? Well, it, it grows in the whole middle East and, and um, it, you know, in my experience, honestly, the mustard tree is more of like a mustard shrub or like a bush. Yeah. Like, well, in Jesus California, says so. The greatest of shrubs. Yeah. 
Right. Okay. Come on. Give me my verse there. Uh, 32. Chapter 13, verse yep. 32, guys. Let's go there. Um, uh, It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs. Well, there you have it. Okay. So it's look, it's a, it's a shrub tree. It's a, it's a little bushy thing. Um, but I was looking it up over here. It says said a full size mustard tree can be as, as high as big as like 20 feet, wow. but it's still, it's a low growing more. Well, of like, even if it's like a tiny, tiny seed, it's kind of incredible what it can well, grow into. It is a tiny seed. It's, it's the, like the head of any, I've got a picture here. Check this. I'm going to share my screen. Uh, you got to do this. This is why this is important. And this is why we're doing these Bible reflections. Like forget all my stupid comments about the moral life. Cause I, we you know, know what a mustard seed looks like. Exactly. Check that out. That's like a seed you get in a pepper. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. Wow. Yeah. So there That's you have crazy. it. Only at the ICC, you're going <laughs> to find out the size of the mustard seed, but, but yeah, but I've got a couple of, a couple of insights here for, um, for our, for our friends and neighbors here at Sunday Gospel Reflection from the fathers of the church, which I think we ought to refer to. Yeah. Intro. Okay. Ready? The words of the Lord, the, the words the Lord spoke, lest gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them, leave room for repentance. We are advised not to be quick in cutting off a fellow believer. Think about wisdom. The book yeah. we were talking, just talking about this in that verse 10, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking at. Okay, we are advised not to be quick in cutting off a fellow believer, for it may happen that one who has been corrupted today by evil may recover his senses tomorrow by sound teaching and abide by the truth. The Lord therefore advises us that we should not be quick to judge what is doubtful, but should leave judgment up to God. So when the day of judgment comes, he may not cast out from the body of saints those who are suspected of misdeeds, but those who are obviously guilty. As to his has to his words that the bundles of weeds are to be consigned to the fire and wheat is to be gathered in the barn. It is clear that all heretics and hypocrites are to be burned in the fires of hell, but the holy ones who are called wheat are to be gathered up in barns. That is to say the heavenly mansions. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this is the same idea of this time of repentance about caution, about condemnation, yeah. but also, also, by the way, this is not a blindness to sin. Um, uh, or, or the, somehow the, the, the God's mercy is for the purpose of allowance of sin. No, God's mercy is given for repentance. Yeah. Not so that we can accompany the sinner in his sin. The church doesn't accompany sinners in their sin. He calls the sinner to repentance time and time and time again, giving him time to come to the truth. Yes. Um, and this, by the way, the church is attacked oftentimes for its position on capital punishment. Capital punishment is not um, is, is not a way in which the church says you can get back at the person for what they did. Capital punishment was given to someone who was so far gone that the only thing that might shock them into repentance is their imminent death. No, that's why the church defended. The idea of capital punishment, historically, traditionally, by all the fathers of the church. Okay, I'm going to get off my hobby horse on that one. But nevertheless, um, the the weeds and the wheat, look, do not be scandalized by the current situation we find ourselves in the church, in which there are many weeds growing up 
in many places within the church. In fact, there's many weeds growing up in my own heart. Please, Lord, be patient, yeah. be gentle. Yeah. But but within the church, we see bishops and priests and 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 and, and even popes that seem to have gone far from the gospel message of Christ. Don't be scandalized. Judas was in among the 12. The weeds are going to be there. It's part of the, the hallmark of the church to the sinners within her bosom, right? As Pope Francis has said, the church is a hospital. Remember, hospitals, at least traditionally, work to heal people, yeah. right? Not to pull the plug or not to accompany them in their illness, no, it tries to heal the person, and that's the purpose of the church. Exactly. Okay. Anyways, exactly. there's uh there's a uh, Saint Jerome, Saint John Chrysostom now regarding um regarding this parable of the leaven, which I think is very beautiful. He says, Note the wisdom by which Christ introduces natural things. The leaven, though it is buried, is not destroyed. Little by little, it transmutes the whole lump into its own condition. Very important. This happens with the gospel. Do not fear then that there will be many dangerous circumstances. Again, going back to Pentecost in the context in which we're living and the apostles going out into the uh, into a uh, pagan world. For even then you will shine forth and be victorious. And he goes, I'm going to give you the whole quote. He goes, he talks about the apostles going out, leaving, leaving Jerusalem as a band of 12 into a sea of sin. Yeah, the pagan world. And yet... Uh, and yet this is what we're called to, and all of us called in this time period to be missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not to, not to, to, to fear or to worry in that moment. Um, uh, for even then we'll shine forth. You will shine forth and be victorious. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus's greatest victory is the cross, right? In the midst of their persecution and their hatred. And their misunderstanding, in the midst of all of that, the resurrection comes. In the midst of the darkness of death, and so we should be um, we should be uh, encouraged then by these parables. Let these parables be for you, as they were meant to be for the apostles, misunderstood by the world, but revealed to the friends of Christ. Yeah. And then, uh, then read through these and apply your, then you can then apply, right? We can then apply them to our own lives, one after the other. And Jesus explains their, their meaning. And so I don't have to do that, right? The, the, the good ground, the good soil and the good seed, the children of the kingdom of God and so forth. Jesus gives us all, he gives us the, the interpretive paradigm, right? Yeah. Can I ask you about um, verse 35? Yeah. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What's that from? Yes. Psalm 78. Go turn there very quickly. Psalm 78. And Annie, you had a wonderful insight. Actually, you and I were talking just before we started about, mm -hmm. and you mentioned this Psalm 78. Um, and I thought it was a wonderful insight. But let's take a look. Verse 1 and 2. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and his, might and his wonders which he has wrought. And what was your insight here? 
Annie? Well, he goes on to start talking about salvation history. I mean, you see the 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 patience of God with the people who keep falling astray. No, exactly, exactly. So read the psalm in its entirety. Um, this is a, another good principle. When we're doing these Bible studies. You want to do good Bible study? You're going to turn back to the original text, and you're going to contextualize that text too. Yeah, and see so you can fully understand. Because when Jesus says a verse, it's the whole thing, right? It's the whole of He's opening up. So He's giving Bible study and salvation history by turning you to the Psalm, which is going to give you salvation history and help you understand how the Lord works. Yeah, I want to say one last one last point though regarding um, regarding this this the throwing into the fire and all that business. Take a look at the prophet Malachi. Um, Because this language is being lifted right from right from this prophecy, which is very beautiful about the coming of the Messiah, um, and uh, and I think I it's it would behoove us to go back and read Malachi, all of Malachi, but chapters three and four, because look at this, look at this chapter, look at chapter three, verse one. Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger, the covenant in whom you de- the, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when it, when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit and mm-hmm. as a refiner and purify of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former days. And then verse chapter 4, verse 1, or if you have a New American Bible, it's chapter 3, verse 19. Okay? For behold... The day comes burning like an oven when all of the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who are fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise. Now, just to do a, a, a quick connection, then you can go to the gospel of John, the gospel of John chapter one. Ah, here it is. Let's turn turn just to connect this Luke chapter Luke chapter three, um, uh, verse. We'll start with verse fifteen. Luke chapter three, verse fifteen. Are you with me, Annie? I am there. Luke chapter three, verse fifteen. As the people were in expectation, all men questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether perhaps he was the Christ. John answered them, "I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming." The thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mm. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so Mm -hmm. do you see this connection? The Old Testament of Malachi now picked up by, um, by John the Baptist at the baptism of the Lord and then the ministry of the Lord, which is in accord with both of these things in which the Lord says, here's what's going to happen to these people who refuse to recognize the one who has come to them. Yeah. Ultimately they're going to be burned up in fire, not because God is mean and hates people, but because he loves people and he, and love is never forced. Love is always in an atmosphere of freedom. And if you're not with the Lord, if you don't have his life within you, if you're not his disciple, my brothers and sisters, you're going to die. Not because God killed you, but because you killed yourself. And that's what the book of wisdom is talking about. And ultimately, that's what the Lord is talking about. 
Yeah. You should look at the epistle. So much for the nice Jesus. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, really, it is the nice Jesus because he could just rip everything out right then and there and doesn't. I mean, he could he could have appeared in all of his glory. Absolutely. And yet he doesn't because he loves us too much to save us without us. Yeah. Okay, let's take a look. The one who searches hearts, as St. Paul says here. There you go. Yeah. So Romans chapter eight, Romans eight, verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter eight. Let me get there real quick. Chapter eight, verse 26, verse 26. Okay. 26. There we go. Romans chapter eight, verse 26. Give people time to get there, Annie. All right. Romans is an easy book to find. Go ahead. You know, we don't have to say much about this. Because this just confirms everything that we've been saying. Everything that we've just said. Absolutely. Brothers and sisters, the spirit comes to the aid of our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes with inexpressible groanings. And the one who searches hearts knows what is the intention of the spirit. Because he intercedes for the holy ones according to God's will. St. Augustine says, patience trains up the longing. Wait. For he waits. Walk on steadfastly that you may reach the end. He will not leave that place to which you are moving. St. John Chrysostom, it is not possible, says Paul, for us human beings to have a precise knowledge of everything. So we ought to yield to the creator of our nature and with joy and great relish accept those things which he has decided on and have an eye not to the appearance of events, but to the decisions of the Lord. After all, he knows better than we do what is for our benefit. And he also knows what steps must be taken for our salvation. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.